I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and please and turn to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 6. 2 Samuel chapter number 6. While you're finding your place this morning, we preached out of Ephesians chapter 1. Many of you were in the service this morning. And we, uh, as we started the service, we said that Ephesians and Colossians were very similar. They resemble one another. There was an exception. We said that the book of Colossians is what we call a polemical book. In other words, there were some errors that had started uh, making their way into the church. And so Paul wrote the, the book to the Colossians uh, to try to refute some of the error that was, uh, that was predominant in the church back in the day and time. I think tonight you could label this message as polemical. And uh, I don't think we have any major error necessarily that's, uh, that's seeped into Calvary. But I do think there is some... Uh, weird thinking that's going on in our culture today. And so tonight, I'm going to refute that from the Word of God this evening. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I feel like everything I'm going to say tonight, you guys are going to, you're going to amen it. Uh, but uh, I can promise you this, the world will not. The world will not amen it. They might stone me, but they won't amen it. And so I want to talk to you tonight about this subject, the method of the master, the method of the master. And so it's uh, 644 right now. We've been here 44 minutes. And so I'll try to do this uh, as, just as briefly as I can this evening. But I want you to take your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, when you find your places, if you're able to stand, I want you to stand uh, out of respect for the reading of God's word. And we're, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse number 8. And then I'm going to teach or preach or whatever the Lord leads me to do tonight. You know, I'm really burdened. I, I mean, you know, I love to preach. I want to preach tonight. I really want to preach. At the same time, we're reaching folks now that uh, some of the stuff we're teaching and preaching in Calvary, they've never heard it in their entire life. And so I want to come across, I want to come across loving. I don't want to come across bristly. Uh, and, and sometimes you need to be bristly in your preaching, but I don't want to come across bristly. I want to come across, I want to, I want to try to present this through love tonight. Um, but anyway, that's enough disclaimers. Let's get into it tonight, all right? 2 Samuel 6, verse 1. The Bible says again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Verse 7, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. Isn't that interesting? Not for his sin. This wasn't necessarily sin. Uzzah, I think Uzzah had, was well-intentioned. 
But the Bible says that God smote him there for his error. And the Bible says in there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. So you may be seated tonight. I want to, just for a few moments, I want to talk to you about that subject, the method, the method of the master. This could be, I mean, this really could be a series. I'm just going to give you some for instances tonight, and then we'll be headed to the house. And, and so I hope that this will be a help. And so let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, we love you, and thank you so much for the privilege to be back in your house. It's been a good day. This is a good crowd for a Sunday night, and, and there's a really good spirit in the house today. And God, we just, there's so much to be thankful for. You're good. Uh, we're thankful that you're healing. We're thankful that some folks are back tonight. I'm so glad to have my wife back tonight. And, and uh, Lord, you're just good to us. You, you really are. And we praise you and we love you. And Lord, you're good to us because you give us a word. God, you give us a Bible to live by. God, we don't have to, we don't have to live the Christian life guessing. We don't have to live the Christian life supposing, hoping that we're right. God, you've given us a word. You've given us a, a GPS, if you will. You've given us a map, a road map, that if we'll just follow this road map, we'll know we're headed in the right direction. There's no hoping. There's no supposing. Uh, Lord, we know we're headed in the right direction. And so, God, tonight I pray that we will know, and I pray that you would, uh, Lord, teach us. I pray especially for our youth tonight that they would really give pastor a good hearing and and I pray that all that's said and done would honor you and please you. I pray it would help your people. And I pray that we'll leave tonight being able to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake, amen. The Bible tells us here in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that David and the people of God are bringing the ark. Now the ark, when I say the ark, most of you probably know what I'm talking about there, this is not, not Noah and the ark. This is the ark of the covenant. This is a, a box, a golden box, if you will, that God had given to the Israelites many years prior to this, uh, a golden box. And in this golden, on top of this golden box is something called the mercy seat. Uh, and uh, and, and this, this ark of the covenant, this ark of the covenant is a, is a type of the presence of the Lord. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that David and the people of God are bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, back to its intended spot, back to the tabernacle. You say, well, preacher, where are they bringing it back from? Well, the Bible tells us that the Ark, and you have to go back and sort of study this out, but you'll find out that the Ark is located in a place called Kurjath-Jerim. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced like that, but that's what it looks like, Kurjath-Jerim. Uh, Benjamin, it's, it's located in the, in the area that would be labeled as Benjamin. And the ark has been here for 20 years, 20 long years. It has sort of been out of its spot, out of its place. And so they have went down to Kurjath-Jerim. Uh, the Philistines had it for a while and they found out real quickly it wasn't what they wanted. And, and God plagued the Philistines and and so they gladly gave it up. And then they sent it up to a place called Beth Shemesh and uh, and the people in Beth Shemesh, they were glad to receive it, but then they made an awful mistake and they got familiar with it. And the Bible says they looked into the Ark of the, uh, of the Covenant. The Bible says that God killed thousands and thousands of them. And so now the Ark has been down in, in Benjamin or Kurdzath-Jerim for about 20 years and David and his people are coming down to, to get the Ark and to take it back to Jerusalem and to put it in the tabernacle. 
So you could sort of say it like this. They're putting it back in the capital. They're, they're putting it back in the place of prominence. And again, keep in mind that the Ark of the Covenant is that box that represents the presence of the Lord. And so they're, they're putting it back into the capital. They're putting it back into the place where it's supposed to go. They're putting it back into that place of prominence. And, and I'm not preaching on this tonight, but I just want to stop and say this, that that's always the place that God ought to hold in our life. He ought to be in the capital. He ought to always be in our place of prominence. He ought to always be in our place of preeminence. He ought to be first. Man, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful my wife's back tonight. Man, I love her. I'm, I'm so thankful that God has, has given her to me. But, uh, but, but although she is the most important thing in my life, God has to have first place. By the way, same thing with her. Uh, she treats me like I'm important to her, but God is first place in her life. God ought to be first place in your life. God ought to take, listen, God ought to take preeminence over everything, over your job, over your finances, over your income, over your kids, over your pleasure, over your hobbies. God ought to have preeminence. We ought to put the presence of God in the capital. Man, we ought to put him in, the, uh, in that place that was intended for him to be. Now, quickly, I've got about four or five points I want to give you by way of an introduction. You say, oh, brother, no, hang with me. These are quick. But I want you to know some things about this story, but there are some things that are definitely worth our noticing. All right? Let's start tonight. How about this? First of all, I want you to notice the majority. Their majority was right. I'm talking about David and his people. Here they are carrying the ark of God back to Jerusalem. And we notice several things. We notice, number one, their majority was right. Look, if you will, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says again, David gathered together, look at this, all the chosen men of Israel. And then the Bible even tells us how many? 30,000. Wow. I mean, this is a large crowd. Uh, 30,000, the Bible says, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from this the ark of God. And so, boy, isn't it great uh, you know what? We ought to serve the Lord regardless of anybody stands with us or not, shouldn't we? I mean, we ought to, listen, if nobody stands with you, you ought to serve Jesus. But isn't it great when the majority serving God with you? I mean, when everybody's with you, by the way, that's why it's so important you come to church because when you come to church, you're in the majority, amen? And, and you're with other people that believe like you believe and stand like you stand and love like you love. And, uh, and that's where David is. David's, boy, David's with the majority. There's a large crowd that's traveling down to Kurdash-Jerim and they are getting the ark of God and they're taking it back to Jerusalem. And so we notice here that their majority was right. Number next, I noticed this, not only their majority was right, but I noticed, church, their motive was right. Their motive was right. Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about, preacher? Their motive was this, they desired the presence of the Lord. That's a good motive. And they knew something. They knew the ark of God was that symbol. They knew the ark of God was the, what was the presence of the Lord. That's where the Shekinah glory would hover over the ark. And they desired the presence of the Lord. Look at it in your Bibles. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse number, verse number 2. And David arose with all the people that were with him from Bill of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. Skip down, same chapter, verse 17. 
The Bible says, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Wow, their majority was right. They had a large crowd going with them. Their motive was right. They wanted the presence of the Lord. By the way, Calvary, we ought to desire the presence of the Lord. And I'm thankful for talent. God's blessed us so greatly with talent at Calvary. Some of you can sing, some of you can play, some of you can preach, some of you can teach, some of you can, uh, can meet and greet and work with youth and uh, some of you are talented and skills and different things. God's blessed us so greatly, but oh listen, talent's not enough and personality's not enough and income's not enough and finances is not enough and buildings are not enough and, and seats are not enough. We need, at Calvary Baptist Church, we need the presence of the Lord. Well, that's where they were. I mean, that's where they were. That's what they wanted. And so their majority was right. Their motive was right. Well, I noticed something else. I noticed number three. I noticed their motion was right. Look at 2 Samuel 6, verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah. Look at this next line. I love it. The Bible says to bring, what's the next word? To bring up from thence the ark of God. You know where they were headed? They were headed to Jerusalem. And when you're headed to Jerusalem, you're headed up. Because Jerusalem is way up. I mean, Jerusalem's up. And we talk about those songs of degrees in the Psalms and what that, that those were songs that they would sing as they were making their way, a song of degrees. They were making their way up to Jerusalem. And uh, they're headed up to Jerusalem. Uh, and isn't it amazing that when you and I serve the Lord, our direction is always up. When we serve Christ, our direction is always up. Oh, I'm not saying you're not gonna have difficulties. I'm not saying you're not gonna have battles. I'm not saying that, that you're not occasionally gonna get discouraged, but I am saying this. Whenever you serve the Lord, your direction is always up. It's always up. But on the flip side of that, whenever you get away from the Lord, guess what? Your direction is always down. I mean, it's just proven in the word of God over and over and over. I was reading the story of Jonah this week. Four times concerning the, the story of Jonah. When Jonah decided to do his own thing, the Bible says, and Jonah went down. Jonah went down. Jonah went down. Jonah went down. And whenever you decide to do your own thing, it's always down. It, it, it's always It's always down. And so we noticed their majority was right. Their motive was right. We noticed their motion was right. Look at this right here, church. We noticed their music was right. Wow, did y'all see that? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse number 5. The Bible says, And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on, uh, and on cymbals. And so I, I, I really believe this. I believe their music was pleasing to the Lord. Uh, uh, you know what Psalm 150 and verse five says? Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. That's what they were doing. Their music was right. By the way, that was not always the case for the Israelites. Their music was not always right. Remember the story in Exodus chapter 32 where Moses and Joshua are coming down off the mount and boy, they start hearing noise, they start hearing music. Remember what Joshua said? 
Joshua said, there's a sound of war in the camp. And they listened a little closer and Moses said, it's not the sound of war, but the sound of people singing, do I hear? And they get down into the camp. The people have taken off their clothes and they're dancing and it's just nothing but a, a, just a lewd, immoral mess. And, and so there were times in the Israelites' history when their music was not right. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we notice that their music is right. Now again, follow me. Their majority is right. Their motive is right. Their motion is right. Their music is right. But here's what I'm gonna say just for a moment. Their method was wrong. Their method was wrong. Everything was right. They were doing good. They had right motives. Everything was going, they were going up. Everything was good. But their method was wrong. You say, preacher, what, what, what are you talking about? Well, the Israelites took for granted one major concept. God had given them a specific method by which they were to transport the Ark of the Covenant. You say, Pastor, what was that method? It was to be, number one, it was to be covered. And number two, it was to be carried. It was to be covered and it was to be carried. It was to be carried upon the shoulders of the priest. They were not supposed to touch it. And you were not supposed to put it on a wagon. You're not supposed to put it on a cart and take it somewhere. And by the way, I guess they, feel, they felt like they had this all figured out because the Bible says David put it on a new cart. Let's don't put it on an old cart. Let's put it on a brand new cart. And by the way, somebody may say, Preacher, where did they get this idea from? I'll tell you exactly where they got the idea from. They got it from the world. The Philistines are the ones who carried the ark on a cart. And by the way, things didn't work out too good for them. And all of a sudden, here David is. Who ought to have known better? David and the Israelites and the chosen men of Israel. You know what they're doing? Man, everything, everything is right. But they take the ark of God and they put it on a cart and they're pulling it with oxen. And the Bible says as they're passing through Nashon's threshing floor, they must have hit a little rut or a pothole or a ditch or something. And the Bible says the wagon shook and evidently the ark of the covenant sort of shifted. And when it did, uh, Uzzah reached up to, by the way, didn't, didn't mean anything wrong by this, but Uzzah reached up just to steady the ark and make sure it didn't fall. And God killed him. Now, I would say this, wasn't all Uzzah's fault. It was David's fault. Because their method was wrong. Now, now watch this, church. When they took for granted God's method, that's when life began to be filled with problems. And church, it's important that you and I continue to use God's prescribed method in every single part of life. It's not enough for our majority to be right, our motive to be right, our music to be right, our motion to be right. You know what? Our method, our method must be right. Now you say, okay, pastor, all right, okay, I get you, I'm following you, but how do we know? I mean, how do we know what God's method is? Well, here's the great thing about this message. You don't have to hope, you don't have to think, you don't have to suppose, you can know what his method is. But here's what you gotta do, you gotta study. You gotta study. And if you'll study this book right here, you know what'll happen, the Spirit of God will show you what his prescribed method is. By the way, for every part of life, 
And if you'll follow that prescribed method, everything will be okay. I'm just, I got verses and verses, and I'm sure I won't be able to get to all these. I thought about 1 Corinthians 14, 40, where the Lord said, let all things be done decently and in order. I thought about Titus chapter two, verse, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, Paul said, for this cause I lift in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. I thought about 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. What's that saying? That's saying that God's a God of order. God's a God of methodology. And so God wants our methods. He wants our methods to be right. But boy, we're mixed up today. We're living in a culture that's, man, we're all cattywampus. Now, I could give you 10,000 points tonight. Aren't you glad I'm not? Amen. 10,000 points. And I'm not. This could be a series, but I'm just going to give you some for instances of what I'm talking about tonight. What is God's prescribed, what is God's prescribed method? How about this? Number one, I'm just going to give you a for instance. God's prescribed method for prosperity is work by save. That's God's method. That, that's the method set out in the word of God. If we're going to be prosperous, God's method is work by save. Now, here's the problem. If you get that back to, if you get it mixed up, you've got problems. And, and by the way, we do. Our culture today, our society has it all mixed up. Did you notice he did not say borrow by work? Are you following me? Did you notice he did not say buy Borrow, play. He did not say let others pay for what you can pay for. It's not God's method. Well, I'll just let Joe Biden take care of it. It's not God's method. Even if Joe Biden wanted to pay for everything, it's not God's method. God didn't put you here for Joe Biden to take care of your every need. By the way, God's supposed to meet your every need. Uh, and so it, it doesn't, that's not God's method. Uh, by the way, God's method is, is, is uh, not take something that doesn't belong to me. That's where we are, though. We just, you know what, we'll just bust in the windows at Target or Walmart or Best Buy or wherever, and we'll just go in and we'll just, uh, uh, you know what, we're protesting. You're not protesting. You're ripping that store off. That's what you're doing. I mean, we might as well call it like it is. That's not a protest. That's not a protest. You're a gangster. That's what that is. You're a gangster. You're a criminal, and somebody ought to call you out. But you know what? We're so, man, we are so messed up in our society. We want to try to call that that kind of thing protesting. Listen, that's not protesting. You know what that is? That's absolute, unadulterated wickedness is what that is. God has a plan. By the way, church, God doesn't want us head over heels in debt. That's not God's plan. That's not God's method. It should not be, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I mean, I'm just, you know what, I'm so head over heels in debt. I I, I mean, I'm up to debt, I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. No, no, no. This is what I'm saying. God's method for prosperity is to work, and then when you work, you make income, you make money, and then when you make money, you buy what you need to buy. You you put gas in your car, you put tires uh, on your car, you 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 pay for your heat, you 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 pay for wood. 
to put in the wood furnace. You, you, you pay for clothes to go in your back. You pay for groceries to go on your table. That's God's. That's God's prescribed method. You work and then you buy. And then if you've got some left over, you save. That's, that's the biblical method. But I want to show you. This is my longest point, by the way, so don't get worried, all right? Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and look at verse number 11. I want you to check me out. I want you to fact check me. When I preach something from this pulpit, I want you to check it out for yourself. And so I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 11. Man, I don't, need to get, I don't mean to get too fired up, but I'm going to tell you what, that stuff, that stuff really, whew, some of that stuff just rings my bell, brother, I'm telling you. And somebody somewhere ought to stand up on Fox News or CNN and just tell it like it is. Anybody else tired of this mamby-pamby, just soft-soaping society that we live in? You know what? It's about time that some folks get a backbone and just stand up and say, you know what, that is wrong. It's wrong. But let's look at what our Bible says. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says, in that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business, look what he says here, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. All right, turn over just a few pages and look at Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And look at verse number 10, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Again, I'm just trying to show you what God's method is. Hey, young people, hear me out tonight. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible says, For even when we were with you, Paul said, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, church, that's in the Bible. You said preacher people have handicap. You're right about that. Folks do have handicaps, and we have soldiers coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq, and they've lost limbs and legs and, and eyes and all. And, and as far as I'm concerned, well, to take care of them the rest of our life, that's what I believe. Uh, and if, somebody is, uh, if somebody's got a, a, a serious handicap, I'm not, listen, I, I'm not against us helping them and being a blessing to them, but, but I am against this. I'm against... Uh, a, a, a man that's got two legs and two arms and two eyes and, and could get out of bed and go to work and provide for his family and yet he lays around all day and lazy and watches television and somebody ought to preach against that. That if any would not work, neither should he eat. Second Thessalonians chapter three, look at verse number 12. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness, that with quietness they, what's the word? That with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Turn over just a few pages or maybe a page and look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8. You young men that are here tonight, you hear me out, listen, listen to me. You teenage boys, look up here and look at, listen to your preacher tonight. Your preacher's trying to help you tonight. Let me tell you how, how to have a good life. Let me tell you how to have a good marriage. Let me tell you how to have a, a, a productive relationship. It's called W-O-R-K. W-O-R-K, work. Work. That's not a cuss word. That's not a dirty four-letter word. Go to work. Now look what our Bible says in 1 uh, 
Timothy chapter five, verse number eight. But if any, but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, what's the opposite of prosperity? What's the opposite of prosperity? Poverty. Poverty. And poverty typically is brought on by laziness. Now, again, I told you this is my longest point, so hang in there with me. Turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 24. And look, if you will, at verse number 30. Again, I just think it's important we understand the method, God's method. God, how does God want us to provide for ourselves? How does God want us to provide for our families? How does God want us to, to provide for the church? By working. We work, we buy, we save. The opposite of prosperity is poverty. And poverty is often brought on by laziness. Now, look at Proverbs 24 and look at verse number 30. The Bible says, and, and, and the writer of Proverbs says, I went by the field of the slothful. Whenever you see that word slothful in your Bible, it's, it's the idea of, of someone that's, that's lazy, uh, the, a son of Belial, somebody that's worthless. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall was broken down. Verse 32, then I saw and considered it well. He said, I looked upon it, received instruction. And then he said in verse 33, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding thy hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and I won't as an armed man. Now turn over a page and look at Proverbs chapter 26. You know, the Bible almost uses, almost uses a little sarcasm here. In Proverbs 26, look at verse 13. The Bible says the slothful man, there it is again, that lays him in. The slothful, a slothful man saith, there's a line in the way. A line is in the street. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. You know what our Bible's teaching there? You know what the slothful man says? I can't go to work, there's a line outside. I mean, I would go, but there's probably a mountain lion outside the door. I would go. I mean, I, I would go to work, but, but, you know, there's probably something outside the door. Well, you know what? There is something outside the door. <laughs> it's called success. Amen. And if you get outside the door, you can have it. Now, again, I'm just, I'm just I know we got to go here, but I'm just telling you because I got some other points that we need to get to tonight. And then you'll wish we were back on this first point again, all right? God's method, God's prescribed method is for prosperity is work by save. That's, that's what we do. That's what we do. Now, young people, again, hear me out tonight. Listen to your pastor. Pastor loves you tonight. But, hey, young people, get a job. Get a job. That's good preaching right there. Get a job. Get a job. You pray about it and tell God what you need, what you want. God can give you the desires of your heart, but, but, but get a job. Don't you, listen, don't you, don't you hang around mom and dad's house and enjoy their air conditioning and enjoy their scrambled eggs and enjoy their liver mush and their bacon and don't you enjoy the soft bed and a pillow and don't you enjoy all those things when you're not lifting a finger to help. Get yourself a job. Work. Work. 
That's how you prosper. Well, you say, preacher, I tried this job. They wouldn't pay me but $13 an hour. What? What does that even mean? What? Listen, preacher, I wouldn't make it, make it but $80 a day. 80 Listen, Rodney, help me on this. $80 a day is better than $0 a day. Any day of the week. You say it's only $80. Hey, you can buy some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for $80. That's what I'm saying. God's prescribed method. Work, buy, save. Everybody ready? Take a deep breath. <laughs> you guys really did it. I was just picking. You really did. <laughs> Hey, look at this. Look at this next one. What's God's prescribed method? God's prescribed method for procreation is one husband and one wife. It's God's prescribed method. Yes, I know, Pastor, but I heard Dr. Phil. Not concerned about Dr. Phil. Not concerned about Jerry Springer or, or CBS or NBC or... Hell's box office or send to the max or, uh, or what anybody else says, I'm concerned about God's method. And God's method for procreation is one husband and one wife, not two men. God's method for procreation is not two women. God's method for procreation is not a man and three women. God's method for procreation is not a man without a woman. Church, listen to me. We are in sad shape in America. When our White House press brief, briefing secretary, or whatever she's called, won't even answer a reporter's question and say, when, when asked, do you believe a man can give birth to a child, wouldn't even answer the question. Because we're so politically, we're not politically correct, church. We're into the insanity stage. And they're trying to push all this on our kids and push it in our schools. And they're trying to tell our boys and girls that it's perfectly normal and natural for a man to put on stockings and rouge and lipstick and a wig and a dress. And I want to tell you tonight, it is not normal. You say, what is it, preacher? It is abomination. It's abomination. You say, you, you, you say, preacher, you think if we keep doing it, God's going to judge us? Friend, we are under the judgment of God right now. God's not going to judge us. God is judging us right now. God's divine, God's prescribed method for procreation, one husband, one wife. Genesis chapter 1, quickly, quickly, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Let's see where it all began. Let's see how it all began. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our own image, in our image, 
after our likeness and let, him, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Look, look at the next line. Male and female created he them. And God blessed, who did he bless? He blessed them. Who's the them? Male and female. And God blessed them. And God said unto who? Who's the them? Male and female. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl there and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Listen, church, that's all I'm saying. God's prescribed method for procreation is one, one husband and one wife. Now, are we going to reach people here at Calvary Baptist Church that are coming from past lifestyles and sinful lifestyles? Yes. But our message ought to be the gospel. And our message ought to be this. God's a God of forgiveness and God can restore you and God can, God can change your life. Right. And so are we against those folks that have gotten way out in left field and they're living a life of sin? We're not against them. We want them to come to the Savior. And so we're going to do our best to, 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 to love them and love them to Jesus and, and, and get them to God and let God change their life. Let God save them. Why? So God can put them on the right path so they can have a blessed relationship. Hey, church, but they'll never have a blessed relationship as long as they're not doing it God's prescribed method. You say, preacher, don't you believe, though, don't you believe that two men who really love one another, don't you believe that they can be blessed of God? No. You say, I believe it. Then you are going against God's method. You're taking the ark and you're saying, you know what? I don't think we have to bear the ark. I think we can put her on a new cart. This is a new society, preacher. This is a new culture. You're such a T-Rex. You're a dinosaur. Pastor, it's time for you to get with the age. Just get with it. You're way behind. You'll see how, just how behind I am here in just a minute. You're way behind, preacher. You need to catch up, friend. I don't have any plans on catching up. And I don't have any plans on changing. You say, well, you know, and I, I pray it never comes to this. I pray it never comes to this. You say, well, preacher, what are you going to do? What, you know, what are you going to do if one of these days they, you know, they, they take your ordination? They'll have, they'll, then they'll have to take it. And we'll just keep on preaching. We'll just keep on preaching. But we, we have to follow God's prescribed method. God's prescribed method for, for prosperity is work by save. God's prescribed method for procreation is one husband and one wife. All right, all the kids, all the teenagers, look up here at Preacher. Because Pastor wants to help you tonight. Look at this. God's prescribed method for purity is courtship, love, marriage, intimacy, children. That's the order. Now, here's the thing. If you get that order mixed up, you know what happens? You get problems. Hey, adults, am I telling it straight tonight? Did you notice I didn't say God's order is intimacy, children, marriage, maybe love. 
Let me say that again. Intimacy, children, marriage, maybe, and maybe love. You know what's really sad about that? That's the norm for today. That's the order that most people are doing it in. Did you notice it didn't say marriage, intimacy, courtship, love, children? The God's prescribed method for purity is courtship, love, marriage, intimacy, children. In 1984, Tina Turner made a song famous when she sang, What's Love Got to Do With It? The lyrics go something like this. You must understand, though the touch of your hand makes my pulse react, that it's only the thrill of boy meeting girl opposites attract. It's physical. It's only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. Oh, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart that can be broken? And uh, if you'd like to ask Tina Turner how that worked out, it didn't work out so good. But a lot of couples are skipping the courtship and the love and the marriage and heading straight for the intimacy. And kids, I want to tell you something. It don't work. You say, but preacher, she's gorgeous. I'm, she, I'm sure she is. They're supposed to be. God made them that way. God made women pretty. He did not make men pretty. Did not. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Brother Rodney and I are not pretty. I'm telling you, we're not. God didn't make us that way. But God made women pretty. Uh, and by the way, nothing wrong with that. That's, that's normal. That's natural. But I want to tell you something tonight. Lust does not form a bond like love. Amen. The CDC tells us this. An estimated 55%, 55% of male and female teens have had sexual intercourse by the age of 18. While sexually transmitted diseases affect individuals of all ages, sexually transmitted diseases take particularly, a particularly heavy toll on young people. CDC estimates that youth ages 15 to 24 account for almost half of the 26 million new sexually transmitted diseases that occur in the United States. You say, preacher, but yeah, but you, you can't get around it. Yes, you can. Listen to what our Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 18, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 3? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That's sexual impurity is what that means. Hey, kids, listen to me. Take your time. You know what? Listen, if you've worked a long, hard day and your clothes are dirty, 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 and you come at the end of the day and you take those dirty clothes off and you throw them in the washing machine, and if you skip cycles, if you rush the washing machine, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get clothes out of the washing machine that are dirty. You know why? You rushed it. And we got kids all over America and all over Union Grove and Iredell County. And you know what they're doing? They're rushing the machine. 
They're rushing the process. Hey, listen, don't be physically intimate when you're in, when you're in a courtship phase. Learn how to be friends. Amen, preacher. Hey, learn how to show kindness. Learn how to show thoughtfulness. Hey, young ladies, maybe, maybe what you need to do, you know, is rather than give him your body, and you don't need to give him your body until he puts a ring on your finger. Make that boy work for it. Amen, preacher, preach. That's good right there. Thank you, brother. I think I will. Amen. Hey, hey, girls, you know what you, you might want to do? You might want to make sure that he'll open the door for you first. You might want to make sure that, uh, that he lets you go in before he goes in. You might want to make sure that, that he's chivalrous, and we don't even hear anything about chivalry anymore. You might want to make sure that he makes sure that you're seated before he's seated. You might want to make sure that he makes sure that you're served before he's served. Am I preaching to anybody here tonight? Hey, you might want to do this. Hey, boys and girls, teenagers, you might want to make sure that you examine their character before you examine their physical. And for what it's worth, physical changes. And you don't have any control over that. Physical changes. And you're here tonight, you know, and you say, Preacher, I'm a, I'm a stud muffin. And you probably, you probably are. Stud, you're probably a stud. But you give it a few years, you're going to be a bud. I'm telling you, just, just hang in there. <laughs> Physical appearance can change and will change. That's why, listen, you better make sure you like the inside of a person. Man, make sure you focus on the hidden man of the heart before you focus on the physical. Make sure that you guard your testimony. Make sure that you guard your purity. You say, preacher, you can't live that way anymore in America. Yes, you can. And yes, you should. We're to be pure. Will you say, pastor, what? What's the answer? I'm glad you asked about that. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're almost done now. 1 Corinthians 7. And look at verse number 1. And God tells us exactly what the answer is. He tells us. He, he helps us. Doesn't leave us out there to, you know, to wonder. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. You say, preacher, what do I do? What, what, what do I do with these appetites? What do I do with these desires? By the way, these desires that God has given to you, what do you do with them? Okay, God shows us. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Why is that? Because a touch can be explosive. Especially for a guy. Especially for a guy. Oh, man. I feel some preach coming on tonight. Okay, I'm not. I, I'll save it. I'll save it. Look at what he says. Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, verse 2, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, to avoid this immoral lifestyle, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. Likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. 
Defraud ye not one the other, except they be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinence. Isn't that wonderful? You know what God says? I'll tell you how to handle those desires. Find you a godly husband. Find you a godly wife. And that's how you do it. Now, you're here tonight and you say, Preacher, but I can't find one. You can. You can, but you got to wait. You got to wait. You say, Preacher, I've been looking. I mean, I've been looking. Preacher, you don't understand. I'm an old maid. I mean, Preacher, it don't look like I'm ever going to get married. I'm Preacher, I'm telling you, I'm 19 and a half. I'm not ever going to get married. (laughs) Hey, girls, listen to me. Wait. Wait on God. Hey, boys, wait on God. Wait on God and pray. Don't, don't chase every skirt, every pair of pants. Just pray and wait on God. And did you know that God can bring just the right young man into your life when you need it? God can bring just the right young lady into your life when you need it. Hey, now do this. In the meantime, fix up. Comb your hair. Hey, girls, put on a little perfume. Fix yourself up. Don't look like an old hag. Amen. I mean, you know, fix yourself up. Well, aren't you glad you came to the house, the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. <laughs> hey, fellas, polish your shoes. I mean, act like you're somebody. Put a belt on. Yeah. Quit letting your pants hang down to your knees. Put a belt on. Yeah. Act like you got some sense. Act like you are somebody. Man, act like you got some, you know, act like you got some sense about you. Look like somebody. Use a little hair gel, a little hairspray. Man, fix your hair. Put on some deodorant. Put on some cologne. I mean, act like you got some sense. But then when God brings somebody into your life, you guard your testimony. And how do you do it, preacher? Courtship. Build that friendship. Make sure he's going to take care of your needs. Make sure he's not going to give you a baby and then leave you high and dry. What's that about anyway? I know we got to quit, but I'm having a hard time landing this one tonight. What's that about anyway? These guys that think they can get a girl pregnant and then just bebop off into the, into the, right off into the sunset, you know. Hey, buddy, it takes two to tango. And if you can get a girl pregnant, you better be, if you're man enough to get her pregnant, you better be man enough to stay around and take care of her. You know what, daddies? It wouldn't hurt a few of us daddies to just get the double barrel back out and just do a little shining on the double barrel. Come on now. And just do an Andy Griffith. When he comes over to date your your girl, just make sure you're shining it right about that time and break her down and look at him through the barrels. Amen? Just want to make sure, just want to make sure your motives are right. I know you would... Click, never hurt my little girl. I know we're being a little facetious. But I'm talking about courtship, love, marriage, intimacy, children. We got we to quit. Look at this last one. God's prescribed method for parenting is love, nurture, and admonition. Now, Take your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 23, and we're, 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 on the, we're on the runway. Proverbs 23. 
And look at verse 24. Again, we could go 10,000 different ways with this message, but these are just a few things God laid on my heart and I want to share with you. These are just examples of what I'm talking about, God's methods. There are many, many more. But God's prescribed method for parenting is love, nurture, and admonition. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 24. The Bible says, the father of the righteous. When the Bible says the righteous, it's talking about the righteous child. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bare thee shall rejoice. And then verse 26, he says, my son, he's speaking to his son here, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. And so, hey, parent, parents tonight, it's our job to win the hearts of our kids isn't that what he says right there? My son, give me thine heart. Give me thine heart. And so it's our job as parents to win the hearts of our kids. How do we win those hearts? By love. By loving our kids. By letting them know that, man, they are next to the Lord, next to that spouse. They are the most important thing in our entire life. They're not an accident. They're not trouble. They're not a problem. Man, they are so important in our life. And we, we, we gain their heart by loving them. The Bible says in Titus 2 verse 4 that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. So we're to love. We're to love our kids. We're to love our kids. But that's not the only thing. God's prescribed method for parenting is love. Yes, win their heart. Win their heart. And that means from time to time, yes, be their friend. It's okay for dads occasionally to be the buddy of their son. It's okay. It's all right for dad and son to go hunting. My boys and I did. We went hunting together. My boys and I, when, when, when they were growing up, we played golf together. There were times when we were, we were buds. We were, we were best friends. But I do want to tell you this. Don't ever get to the place where you're such good friends that you can't take care of the next two. Because that's God's method. We're to love, yes. We're to win their heart. But Ephesians 6 verse 4 says it like this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture, padeia, nurture. It means disciplinary correction. It means chastening. You know what it means? It means spanking. That's what it means. We're to bring them up in the padeia, in the disciplinary correction, the chastening of the Lord. We're to bring them up in the admonition, nuthesia. The Greek, nuthesia, and it means mild rebuke. We are to love them, but part of loving them is making them mind. Part of loving our kids is making them listen. You say, Pastor, I don't, the reason I don't make my kids do, do what they're supposed to do is because I love them. No, 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 no. That's not God's method. Yes, you're to love them. Yes, you're to win their heart. You're to gain their heart. But while you are loving them, you are, to, you are to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You're to chasten them. You're to rebuke them. From time to time, lovingly, you're to say, straighten up. You won't listen. You won't talk to mom like that. You're not going to talk to mom like that. And not live in this house. Hey, listen, church, wouldn't hurt us to get back to that again. My mom and dad, my mom's in heaven now. She's amening. If she's, if she's listening, she's amening tonight. And uh, when we were growing up, 
There are just things you did and there's things you didn't do. And you've heard this story before, but I remember we were in our, uh, I think it was a Chevy, our Chevy sedan. There was no, th- no such thing as, as uh, minivans back then. And all seven of us are in this Chevrolet sedan. I'm seated behind dad. Dad's driving. I'm seated behind dad. Brothers and sisters in the, the back seat. There's probably some in the front seat. We didn't have any. We didn't even know what seatbelts were back in that day. And, uh, you know, some of them are up with mom and dad. Some of them are back here. And I can't remember what happened. I just remember I sassed off to my mom. And I remember this hand. I don't even know how dad could do. I don't know how he was that agile. I don't know how he could do that. It was like a ninja. I mean, you know, and I said something smart to my mom and all of a sudden a hand came back from the driver's seat. A hand came back and man, he jacked my jaws. Now I'm not saying that's the way to do it, but I am telling you this, I didn't do it again. I didn't do it again. And so love, but nurture and admonition. Now here's, here's the thing. If we don't follow God's methodology, we're destined for trouble. Listen to Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. We're done. You can close your Bibles, we're gonna pray. Listen to this. If you ever go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you uh, a medicine, especially if it's some kind of a controlled substance, maybe you've got some kind of terrible, terrible pain and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, listen, we're going to try to get you through this and we're going to prescribe this certain medication. Have you ever noticed this? The doctor doesn't just prescribe the medication. He prescribes how you're to take it. And then... You know, he'll, he'll write out that prescription that you can't understand. He does that, some kind of a signature, you know, and, and you take that piece of paper to the drugstore and, uh, or they send it in digitally or whatever the case may be and you, you go up there to the pharma, uh, pharmacy desk there and the pharmacist comes with your medication and, and, and the pharmacist will say, now, here's what you've been prescribed and it's very important that you take it. This way. Sometimes he'll say this make sure you eat something with this. Make sure you take this in the morning, only in the morning. Make sure that you you have liquid with, 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 and he'll prescribe you, not only the prescription, he'll prescribe you the way that you're to take that prescription. Now, church, here's the prescription. And God told us long, long ago. Here's what will help your every ailment. But it's very important that you take it in a prescribed way. And if we get that all mixed up, we got problems. And we got a peck of problems in America, don't we? All because somewhere along the line, we put the cart on the, we put the, the ark on the cart, and we're no longer doing it God's way. Let's bow our heads on that, Father. Love you. And Father, we thank you for the message tonight. God, I pray that you'll help us to be careful to follow your prescription. And Lord, there are thousands more that we could give. 
God, help us to get in our Bible and study our Bible, to study our Bible, to make sure that we know not only our motive, our motion, our majority, our music, but God, help us to make sure that our method, our method is right in your sight. God, do something in America. Revive us again, O Lord. Father, take us back to a a time of righteousness and holiness and common sense again. Just common sense. I sure pray you'd do it. And Lord, we ask you to couple it with your great mercy. Please couple it. We know you could do it even tonight. But I pray you'd couple it with your mercy. God, have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's stand all over the house tonight. Hey, listen. Anybody here tonight just need to decide, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to, I'm going to follow God's method. God's method. I'm going to do it God's way. If that's you, I want you just to just step out, tiptoe down to this altar. Maybe there's some young people here tonight that just need to, maybe just need to come down to this altar tonight and just recommit your life to Jesus and say, Lord, help me to do it your way. God, help me to do it your way. Lord, not my way, not anybody else's way. Help me to do it your way. That's right. Folks are coming. Who else? Who else? Lord, I want to do it your way. I want to to follow your order. I want to follow your prescribed method. Who else? Will you come while we wait? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Will you come? Will you come? He's playing a song that says, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Oh, listen, it'd be a happy day if we just get to that place where we say, Lord, whatever you want, I'm willing to do it your way, Lord. While we pause just for a moment. Anybody else? this way church let's sing this little chorus together have thine own church mold me and make me while I am waiting yielded and steel let's bow our heads just for a minute we're going and we're done you guys are We're getting ready to have closing prayer.
Hey, young people, man, just do it God's way. You'll never be sorry. Just do it the Lord's way. That's not the popular way. But just do it God's way.